Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. Much like the women that we find at the end of Mark, we too may start with good intentions, but we live our lives in fear. And the beauty of the entire sermon series up to this point is that no matter who fails, Christ is risen and he has conquered all. You're listening to Set Your Hearts on Things Above by Reverend Peter Yonker. Happy Easter, everyone. It's so good to see you all here today. Uh, It's just, uh, Christy said this already, but it is a joy to have you all here and to to feel like, uh, quote unquote, normal Easter. Uh, I don't know, I can't speak for all of you, and I wasn't putting money in the plate, but never has an offering seemed so exciting to me as it was (laughs) this morning. This is the first, for those of you who are visiting, first time in two years we've done an offering. And uh, in, in the same vein, It'll also be the first time in two years that we will shake hands after the service. So that also is very exciting. And I also want to say, and I mean this in seriousness, if you're a little uncomfortable with that still, totally respect it. Just give me a wave, offer me an elbow, give me a curt nod, I'll accept that. But we will be there to shake hands if you want to shake them. Our Bible reading this morning is from Mark's Gospel, the end of Mark's Gospel. We've been in Mark's Gospel all through Lent. We finish in Mark's Gospel on Easter morning, Mark 16, verses 1 through 8. And what I want to tell you is that uh, this, verse 8, is the end of the Gospel of Mark. Now, I know that in your Bibles you have all that italicized text. And if you look at that, you see a footnote which says, now, this probably wasn't in the original Gospel. And maybe it's a little disconcerting for you to, to read something in, your, in this book that says, ah, I don't know if it belongs there or not. And I'm sorry about that, but the, the footnote is right. This was almost certainly added later. Mark's gospel almost certainly ended at verse 8. And when I read it, you'll see why someone was tempted to add to it. Because the ending of Mark, as it was originally written, feels strange. It feels abrupt. And I think that's by the Holy Spirit's design. The ending of Mark is an ending that jolts you, comes up to you, looks you in the eye, pokes you in the chest and says, pay attention. Are you paying attention? Do you understand what I am trying to say to you? It's a little bit like um, maybe you've gone to a movie somewhere where you really were engrossed in the movie and all of a sudden, boom, the movie had an ending you did not expect. And then on the way home in the car, you're talking to each other and you're saying, what was going on? Why did they end that way? What was the, the writer trying to do when they ended the movie that way? And you have this spirited discussion. That's what this is supposed to invoke in you. The writer, Holy Spirit, working through Mark, wants to jolt you and make you think. So let's hear the end of Mark's gospel. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, "Who, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. 
You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? Now go. Tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you shall see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. In October of last year, near Houston, Texas, a three-year-old boy named Christopher Ramirez suddenly went missing. Near his house, in the woods, behind his house, he had been out shopping with his mom, and they came home from shopping, he got out of the car, and then his family dog ran into the woods, and Christopher, like boys will do, followed the dog into the woods, and the dog came out of the woods. But Christopher somehow got turned around, and he did not come out. His mother noticed he was missing, went into the woods, called his name, He did not answer. She could not find him. She called the police. The police were summoned. They went into the woods. They called. They sent dogs. Could not find Christopher. Search parties were organized. Neighbors came together. People who didn't even know them came together. And there were dozens and dozens of people searching the woods looking for Christopher. And no one could find him. One day went by. Two days went by. Fears were rising Hopes were falling. How could a three-year-old boy possibly survive in the woods by himself for three days? But on the third day, a man was searching five miles from Christopher's home when he heard a sound in the wood that sounded like a child, and he looked, and sure enough, it was Christopher. And he was skinny, and he was thirsty, but he was otherwise okay. And he picked Christopher up, carried him to the police, and the police took him to his mother. And news spread like wildfire that that Christopher had been found in in this day of text and social media. All the, the, the searchers and the police and all the family knew almost instantly that they found Christopher. And it was like this tidal wave of joy swept over everyone. One moment, everyone was seriously worried that that Christopher was gone, and the next moment he was alive, and there was dancing, and there was praise Jesus, and there was people hugging, and happiness. The clouds of joy swept aside by the sunshine of happiness. I tell you this story because it's a wonderful story, it's a happy story, but I tell you it because I want to zoom in on one aspect of it. I want to zoom in on the reaction of the people to Christopher's rescue. The people in that story who are looking for Christopher react just the way you'd expect when you get good news that someone has been saved and is alive whom you thought dead. They're full of joy. They're happy. They sing and dance. Their clouds of fear and worry are suddenly swept away by happiness. That's what you would expect when someone receives good news like that. Contrast that to the women in our story in verse 8. They too had been walking under this cloud of fear and complete disappointment. The person who was the center of their life, Jesus of Nazareth, they'd seen him die, and it was like the light had been taken out of their life. And they come to the tomb, and they find it open, and there's an angel there, and the angel says to them, I've got great news. Jesus is risen. He's alive. Look, that's where they put him. He's not there anymore. He's risen. He's gone ahead of you into Galilee. If you go, you'll see him there. Go tell the disciples. Go tell Peter. This is the best news in history. Christ is alive. 
And how do the women react? Do they weep? Do they embrace? Do they rejoice? Are the clouds of their fear swept away by the sunshine of happiness? Trembling and bewildered, the women fled the tomb and they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. It's like they're still living in the same mood under the same cloud that they had when they first got to the tomb and before they heard the news. They do not live out of the message of the joy of the resurrection. They're still living out of their fear. Now, I don't mean to pile on to these poor women, but I do want to take a moment to show how completely they fail to live out of the good news that the angel gives. There's at least four ways in that one verse where they fail to live out of the joy that the angel gives. First, the angel says to them, don't be alarmed, don't be afraid. What do the women do? They're trembling and they're scared out of their mind. The angel says to them, go tell the disciples and Peter, go tell everyone what you heard. What do the women do? They say nothing to anyone because they are afraid. The angel basically tells them to go to Galilee. Now, it's not a command in the text, right? The angel doesn't say go to Galilee, but he says Jesus is going to Galilee, and you'll see him there. So, I mean, I think the clear implication is go to Galilee. The angel gives these women a task. They can live out of their joy and go see Jesus in Galilee, and their joy will be more complete. Do the women go to Galilee? No. What is it that governs their path? The women fled. When you're fleeing, what's governing your mood? Fear. So they don't live out of that joyful task. They live out of this sort of fear. And one more way in which they fail, they react this way. They're afraid, even though Jesus told them this is exactly what was going to happen. All this is just as you have been told, says the angel, right? And if you read the Gospel of Mark, that's absolutely true at least three times Chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, Jesus says, I am going to be crucified, and on the third day I will rise from the dead. And in Mark 8, it says he spoke about these things plainly, right? He didn't speak in parables. He didn't use strange revelation language. He said, I will die. I will be risen. Expect this. And still, the women live out of their fear. Now, it's tempting to look at those women sitting here in our comfort and say, wow, man, they really messed up. What's with those women? What is their deal? But if you do that, you're missing the point of Mark's ending. You're missing what the author, the Holy Spirit, is trying to do for you. Because I believe, I am convinced that in verse 8, what the Holy Spirit is doing is holding up for you a mirror. When he shows you these women, these three women, he's holding up a mirror. And if you contemplate these three women long enough, you will say, Oh my goodness, that is me. I am just like those three women. And you are. How are you like these three women? Well, let me ask you. Have you been told the good news that Christ is risen? We've told you quite a bit this morning, so yes. You've been told the good news that the grave is empty and that death's power has been defeated. Is that good news just as it has been told to you over the years? Yes, I'm pretty sure that's not the first time you've heard that news. I think you've heard that your whole life if you grew up in the church. And I'm also sure that if this is the very first time you've ever been in church this morning, and that's possible, even you 
know that the Christian message is Jesus rose from the dead. So you've heard the good news. It's just as you've been told. Do you live in the joy of that resurrection power every single day? Do you walk around every day with the sunshine of happiness in your heart and the resurrection your deepest reality? No, you don't. You do not. For moments, maybe. Like maybe when we were singing Christ the Lord is risen today. Maybe then, just for a moment, you were. When the trumpets were playing. Just for a moment. But then, because we're human, fears come back, worries come back, bad news creeps in, and we find ourselves lost in our fears. We find ourselves trembling and bewildered. This is me every single day. Every single day, I try to start it in my office, in prayer, opening the word, and I'm saying to myself every single day, Lord, you've got control of this day. You are risen. You are Lord of this world. You are with me in all my work. Lord, help me to go forward in confidence. And I feel good. And I promise you an hour later, when I start reading my emails and there's conflict or trouble or worries or sick people, I'm right back to being driven around by my worries and my anxieties. And it's not just me, it's you too. I know this. And it's not good. A couple weeks ago, I read an article in the Dispatch by David French. He's a Christian commentator. And he reminded me of a, of a stat that I think many of you have heard about the growing levels of anxiety and depression in high school students. Skyrocketing, right? Anxiety in young people. And here are the specific statistics. Between 2009 and 2019, so that's 10 years, this is all pre-pandemic, 2009 to 2019, it was measured how many high school students had persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness. Persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness. That number went up from 26% to 37% in 10 years. So 11% rise before the pandemic. In 2021, that number was measured again. And now it's all the way up to 44%. 12 years from 26 to 44%. 44% of teenagers in this country feel a persistent sense of sadness and hopelessness. That is astonishing. Why is that? French suggests an answer, and I think he's right. I think they're anxious and feel hopeless because they're watching us adults. That's how kids learn, right? By watching adults. That's how they've always learned. Any anxiety, worry, fear in us adults these days? Is there any conflict in our society at all? Any fighting? Is the worry and conflict worse than it was 10 years ago? Kids see us adults, whether it's their parents or their church member adults, struggling with fear and anxiety and conflict and worry, and they just do what kids have always done. They follow right along, trembling and bewildered. The women went out and fled from the tomb because they were afraid, and they said nothing to anyone. That's us. So in verse 8, Holy Spirit holds up a kind of mirror, and you see yourself in it, and you realize, oh my goodness, I do this all the time. So the first thing the Spirit does with that mirror is challenge you and say, Christ is risen. You should be living out of this joy. Don't let your fears run you. 
live out of this joy. So there's a challenge with this mirror, but it's not just a challenge. I think in a strange way, verse 8 is also a word of encouragement to you, a word of hope. How is that? I think when the Holy Spirit holds up this mirror, the Holy Spirit says, this is what it means to be human. This is what you human beings always do and have always done. And that's a message that we've heard throughout the Gospel of Mark, right? During Lent, we've been following the Gospel of Mark, and we've had that theme where we've looked at how Jesus comes into contact with different people, and repeatedly, again and again, the human beings fail Jesus. The religious leaders, the political leaders, crowds, his friends, his family, all the people fail Jesus, right? They misunderstand, they do the wrong thing, it happens again and again. And it's, it's just like a major theme in Mark, right? Human failure. And in verse 8, when he ends his gospel, it's like he's reiterating that theme. Even after the resurrection, human failure is still in play. And what is that? Well, that's, that's like Mark, in narrative form, teaching us the doctrine of total depravity, right? You don't have to go to the Kansas door, you can just read Mark. Mark is teaching us a narrative form that we human beings will fail, will misunderstand, we will always be trembling and bewildered. Now, you may say, that doesn't sound very encouraging. I thought you said this last thing was a word of encouragement. It is. Why is it encouraging? Because despite the complete and utter and constant failure of human beings in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has risen anyway. Nothing that any human being does in the Gospel of Mark can stop God's plan from coming, for Jesus dying, being raised from the dead, and his salvation coming upon this earth. There is nothing that anyone can do. No amount of trembling, no amount of bewilderment, no matter of human failure can stop the plan of God to save his people. So not only is this story proclaiming the doctrine of total depravity, ultimately this story is declaring the gospel of God's sovereign grace. The religious leaders fail to recognize God's true Messiah. It doesn't matter. Jesus is risen. The political leaders fail to do what they're supposed to do and do justice for Jesus. It doesn't matter. Jesus is risen. The women don't react with joy after the resurrection. They're trembling and bewildered. It doesn't matter. Jesus is risen. You and I start our day with good intentions and find ourselves falling into our worries and our fears. Ultimately, doesn't matter. Jesus is risen. Now, that doesn't excuse our behavior. We're clearly being called to live out of the joy of the resurrection. We're clearly being called to follow the path of justice and righteousness. But it does tell us that even though we know we will fall flat in our face again and again, we cannot be taken out of his hand. Sin may infect us and trouble us, but it cannot have us because we belong to Jesus. And Christ is risen. Christ is risen. And he's gone ahead of you into Galilee. That's an interesting little detail that Mark gives. Christ is risen and he's gone ahead of you into Galilee. Why does he include that detail in what the angel says? Well, first of all, probably because Jesus actually physically went ahead of them into Galilee. But I think it means more than that, too. What is Galilee for the disciples? What is Galilee for them? It's home. It's the place of their regular life. It's the place where they do all their ordinary stuff, all their ordinary work and worry. That's what Galilee is. 
And so when the angel says he's going ahead of you to Galilee, he's saying he's going ahead of you into your ordinary places, into your home places, into your places of work and worry, and he's going ahead of you to work his resurrection power before you even get there. And it's the same for you. Jesus is going ahead of you into your Galilee to work his resurrection power. You're a young person worried about the future, wondering where God's going to put you, who you're going to meet. Are you going to find a lifelong partner? Will that work out? Or are you being called to a life of singlehood? And if that's true, will you be able to handle that? And sometimes all these things make you trembling and bewildered. Don't be afraid. Christ is risen. He's gone ahead of you into Galilee. Maybe you're a parent anxious about raising your children in this kind of a world where there's so many different voices, so much fighting, and so much moral confusion. And you find yourself thinking about your kids and you're trembling and bewildered. Don't be afraid. Christ is risen. He's gone ahead of you into Galilee. Or maybe you're at a later stage in life and maybe you or someone you love completely has just received the hardest news of all. There's nothing they can do about your condition. It's treatable, but not curable. We'll try to keep you comfortable, but the end is inevitable. And you're with the people you love, and you're scared, you're trembling and bewildered. I say to you, don't be afraid, because Christ has risen, and he's gone ahead of you into Galilee. He's gone ahead of you to prepare a place for you, and he means to take you to where he shall be. So all you trembling people, all you bewildered people, all of you who fail, all of you who doubt, all of you who wonder, I declare to you the good news which is at the center of your life, which I declare over and over again and which you still need to hear. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Alleluia. Amen. Lord Jesus, we take refuge in the good news of today. You know, Lord, um, that most of our lives we struggle to live out of it or to feel the truth of it. Lord, it's so good to be in this place and to sing and, and to hear your word spoken and, and to come to the center and be reminded again that yes, you are alive and are alive forevermore and that there's nothing in heaven and earth that can take us from your hand, Lord. Holy Spirit, fill us as we go from this place. And make us people of your resurrection power, even when things outside are hard. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.